0: now and always. (coughs) Count them! After all, isn't that what we're supposed to do on Thanksgiving? Consider all of the
1: the blessings, all of the, the good things that we have in life, and then be thankful from our hearts for those things? Maybe some of you even have a, a little ritual that you'll do with your family and other loved ones as you, you're gathered around the table, right? Everybody goes around maybe and says something that they're, that they're thankful for. But can I ever ask do you, do you ever come into something like that or, or even into the holiday itself with a sense of something that maybe we can call it
0: Thanksgiving guilt? Like I know that I have all of these good things in life. I'm I'm very aware of that fact. And I know that I ought to be thankful for them. But even though that word thankful is the one on my lips, it feels a little bit forced. And is maybe even kind of far from my heart. And then when we consider that we aren't just to
1: rejoice, on one day of the year but but that Paul here in our lesson today says rejoice always I mean who can live up to that kind of
0: pressure that that kind of expectation right rejoice all day every day I mean how how can I rejoice when my ministry associate is going to be leaving me in
1: a couple of weeks just so that he can remember what it feels like to be the young pastor again <laughs> How, how, can I, how can I rejoice when I know that I've got to go back to that job that I just hate
0: on Monday, where I'm surrounded by all these people that frankly kind of make me feel uncomfortable? How can I rejoice when the doctor just told me that the cancer is spreading? How can I be thankful when I lost? my spouse this last year? How can I be thankful when I know that I'm going to have to see Uncle Ted a half dozen times
1: over the next month and change and that every time I do, he's going to make me feel about this tall because he doesn't approve of so many of the decisions that I've made with my life? How can I have this heart of gratitude when when one of my kids won't talk to me anymore
0: or when I'm still reeling over the one that I never got to know? How can I rejoice when I feel trapped in what seems to be a loveless marriage?
1: You see, that that sense of thanklessness that we can have, it's not caused by an absence of blessings. And I think oftentimes not really even by a, a lack of awareness of the good things that we have. So often it's the presence of that big thing or those big things that cause angst in my life. That word angst, maybe, maybe we could just describe this as like a, an emotional claustrophobia sort of feeling. Like, like I'm constricted by these inescapable pressures and
0: troubles and heartaches caused by fill-in-the-blank with whatever it is in your life. Well, this evening... As we look at our lesson from Philippians 4,
1: Paul is going to give us three things. Three things that we can hold on to, three things which help to unblock our hearts so that we are better enabled to give the thanks that we owe God rather than live with all that angst.
0: And not just for one day of the year either, on that day we call Thanksgiving but all 365 of them. And we're going to start right here with our first couple of verses, Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5.
1: Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again.
0: Rejoice. Let, your gentleness, be evident. Let gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. How can I give the thanks, and not live the angst? First of all, rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you're
1: thinking, didn't we kind of just cover that little thing um, a couple minutes ago already? Maybe we need to reemphasize this. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, the default setting of the, the sinful human heart is to anchor joy in the well, what the Bible so often calls the, the present age. Okay, the, the things, the people, the experiences that I can accumulate for and around myself. And don't get me wrong, God God wants us to enjoy the blessings that he gives us, right? He he wants us to enjoy the the food and drink. He wants us to find joy in spouse and in kids and and in work that's, that's worth doing. The issue here, though, is when I anchor my sense of joy to those things, when I need those things in order to have joy in my heart. And there are really two major problems with this. The first is that it is, in fact, idolatry, right? Looking for joy, looking for that that sense of peace in something else above God himself. The other big issue with it, though, is that when you anchor your joy to the things of this present age, you find yourself quickly standing on some very dangerous and shaky ground. And that's because those things are all
0: inconstant and perishing. People, People will disappoint you, fail you, even betray you on an almost daily basis. Homes fall apart, metaphorically and physically. And then, of course, there
1: are those things that you found so much joy in once upon a time that you still have, only you just don't find the joy in them that you used to. And so you go running after the next thing that you think is going to bring you, that permanent joy, right? When we anchor our hearts to those joys of the present age, we are bound to wind up
0: extremely disappointed. That's why Paul tells us in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord.
1: You know, it's, it's really interesting to think about Paul's circumstances when he wrote these words. This letter to the Philippians is sometimes referred to as Paul's letter of joy. And yet, when Paul wrote it, he was in prison and likely had been for quite some
0: time. And yet, Paul didn't even need freedom to have a heart filled with joy. Because he knew that he had something, rather someone, which could never be taken away from him. He had Jesus. There at the end of verse 5, he says, The Lord is near. That was something that not even a Roman emperor could take away from Paul. And there is nobody and there is nothing who could ever take him away from you either.
1: That Savior who, who bled and who died for you on Calvary's cross, for that thanklessness of your life, for all of my ingratitude and for the, the whole load of the mountain of the
0: rest of your and my sin. That Savior is near. That Savior who
1: still whispers his assurances of forgiveness in your ear, Every day even
0: when even when you failed him even when you've stumbled he is near to you that savior who stripped
1: all of your worst enemies sin and death and and satan and
0: hell itself of their power over you he is near that savior who demonstrated his glorious
1: resurrection by appearing to his disciples to give them and to give us the assurance of our own resurrection from death one day when he calls us up from the grave. He's near you right now. That Savior who also daily points our eyes away from
0: loving the earthly joys too much by by pointing us to those heavenly joys. He's near. Anchor your joy not in those fleeting and perishing things of this world. No, anchor
1: your joy in the one who is perfectly powerful, perfectly
0: good, and has perfect love for you. Find your joy in the Lord, because only in the Lord is there eternal joy for you. As we do this, then, we are also invited to make our requests of the
1: Lord. In verse 6, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Yes, he wants us to anchor our joy in him, and yet God is also very well aware that we are real people living in real time with real issues and real problems in our lives. He doesn't call us to ignore all of the heartaches of life nor to suppress every single desire we might have as though those don't matter anymore once we're Christians. But God does say, whatever it is you need,
0: whatever desire it is that you're hoping to fulfill, keep me in that equation. Be mindful of my presence, my power, and my love by coming to me in prayer. Sometimes I think of
1: this prayer relationship that we have with God a little bit like my, well, like my three-year-old daughter. Her name is Jane, like, like Jane's relationship with, with me. You see, uh, Jane has lived her entire life under mine and her mom's oversight, right? Really just about everything she does, she does under our watchfulness, our care, and with our blessing. And now Jane's kind of at this strange age where she's able to do a lot more for herself than she could even six months ago. She's starting to get things for herself. She can do a lot of things for herself, but she's still three, which means there's a lot of things that she can't do she can't reach the things on the high shelves. If it involves some fine motor skills, she sometimes can't can't do it all on her own. And and whenever she is setting out to accomplish something or get something, but that big obstacle is in her way of I can't do it, I can't reach it, you know what she does? She whines and she moans and complains. So I come running over. Jane, what are you whining about? I can't get this. I need you do I need this. And you know what I say?
0: Jane, you don't need to get so frustrated about this. Just ask Daddy. And in a lot of ways, that's what God is giving to us, right?
1: That that we can come to him with our requests the way that a little child comes to a perfectly good, perfectly wise, perfectly powerful dad. He wants us to have this, this beautiful comfort in our lives, because he knows that angsty hearts like ours need it. And there's something even greater in all of this. Uh, You know how parents, every once in a while, know a little bit
0: better for their child than the child knows for themselves? Well, God also knows better for us what we need. And
1: that's why when we do bring these requests before him, we do so knowing that every last one of them is being filtered through his perfect care and that he always responds accordingly. That doesn't mean I always get what I want. And yes, maybe I throw a fit about that sometimes just like Jane might do. But God does even
0: better by us because he always gives us exactly what he knows we truly need. As we rejoice in the Lord and make our requests of the Lord, then finally we also repose
1: in the Lord. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that word repose is not one that we probably use on a very daily basis. Quite simply, it means to be at peace, to exist in a state of, of tranquility. And maybe for our purposes tonight, the, the best way to, to illustrate this is, in fact, with an illustration, with a, a picture. It's a painting titled Peace in the Midst of the Storm by the contemporary artist Jack Dawson, and no no relation to the Titanic guy, okay? Anyway, I, I like a lot about this painting. Um, it, it's very powerful in a lot of ways. Right? You can practically hear the floodwaters uh, thundering through those rocks. You, you see the lightning flashing in the sky. And, and if you've got a keen eye, maybe you see those branches that are just kind of bent sideways and almost feel the, the heavy gale force winds, right? And at first glance, it doesn't seem like there is much repose going on here. It doesn't really seem like a scene of
0: tranquility until you notice it. Have you seen it? The little bird, sleeping in its nest, protected in the cleft of the rock from all those elements raging around it. Paul says that we have a protector like this. He says the peace
1: of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus this assurance that whatever storms are are going on in your life, however the world around us or at us might be raging, through faith you are
0: guarded, you are kept safe, you are protected. Your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus.
1: Maybe we can think of this like a wealthy person who takes his most valuable possessions and and, and puts them into the vault and then maybe
0: sets a pack of Dobermans there to guard it or something, right? Well, you, God's child, you, God's children, are his most treasured possession. And the vault where he keeps you safe is Jesus held close in the arms of of the same one whose love led him to a cross for you, protected by the one who, who faithfully brings you forgiveness every single day. All of your worst enemies are held at bay
1: by the authority of the one who spoke all things into being with his
0: powerful word and who now sits on heaven's throne. You know what that means? It means that like that little bird in the painting, you can rest and you can have peace. Not because you're just
1: ignoring the troubles and heartaches of life, but because you know you have a safe haven from them. In the arms of the Savior who came once for you to redeem you, And who also promises that he will come back for you. And that when he does, he is going
0: to undo all the heartaches, all that is bad and sad in your life. How can I give the thanks, not live the angst? And not just tomorrow on Thanksgiving, but every day? Remember Philippians 4. Rejoice, request, repose, but remember the common thread in all of them. These things are all in and of the Lord. And when we keep our focus on him, on who he is, and what he
1: has done, Our hearts will overflow with thanksgiving for that one who truly is deserving of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise of our lives now and to the far side of eternity. Amen.